Welcome to 360 Conversations Black History Month Takeover. I'm Tammy Thomas, founder of the 360 brand. It's October in the UK, that means it's Black History Month, and I have decided to collaborate with some formidable women to honour black women in history and consider what their legacy means in terms of wellness today. I believe that it is our duty to honour the women that have gone before, paved the way and provided sturdy shoulders to lift us higher by exploring how we can alchemise their grit into grace. Today's podcast episode comes from Alizé Demange. Alizé is one of London's most sought-after stylists. Her work ranges from styling celebrities to household brands. Alongside styling some of the biggest names in music, Alizé is also paving the way for young creatives through her Note to Self platform. Through Note to Self, Alizé and her team provide content and experiences to support young female entrepreneurs with opportunities to take care of themselves whilst they take care of their businesses. In this episode, Alizé honours Dido Elizabeth Bell and shares a candid exploration of her own identity as a woman of mixed black heritage. This podcast is also an ode to black women that are currently creating a living legacy and providing endless inspiration for all of us. This was like a fun history slash anthropology lecture from your fave professor. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy. Okay, I've re-recorded this, recorded this, written this so many times and I've come to the conclusion that when you're recording a podcast by yourself, you just need to speak slowly and I don't speak slow. So let's start. Hello and welcome to my section of the Black History Month Audio Community Project brought to you by 360. My name is Alizé Demange. I'm a 28-year-old fashion stylist and creative consultant based in London. I'm of mixed black heritage. My father is mixed from the French Caribbean island of Martinique and France and my mother is from Belgium. But I was born and raised in London in the UK. Um, Black History Month for me wasn't something I had much involvement in when I was growing up. Um, probably because I don't remember a time um, where the subject was made engaging for me, um, which in hindsight is a real shame. Um, but I guess kind of what we can be um, happy and glad about is that well, the internet and that's the way that it's kind of like changed um, the way that we can access content and information and platforms like this um, kind of is a trail of information that I wish I would have had when I was younger. Um, probably because for a large time growing up, I wasn't able to identify or articulate as to why I felt a certain way about myself and my appearance. Also within why, how and why some people treated me. Um, I was taught I was of mixed race heritage. It's something I always claimed, but I didn't fit the traditional mould of being mixed race in the UK. My skin is brown, but my hair is straight. And if you add a really unpronounceable name in English, um, it always kind of draws questions about my racial ambiguity. Um, even my dad said recently that compared to my brother, he always noticed very, very early on with me that I always had more of an identity crisis in regards to myself and my blackness. And it wasn't a conversation that was being had around me until much later in my life, um, where I was then able to resolve um, the idea that I just had a 
very much a lack of representation, a lack of narrative, a lack of true and existing examples of black and mixed race people in our society who are and were inspirations, people who are thriving, people I would be able to relate to people who make me feel beautiful and also explain that beauty and history doesn't just exist within a white context and narrative. Um, I think growing up, particularly in the UK, it feels that a lot of the black historical narrative always revolves around slavery and colonialism and the idea that black people just simply did not exist within society in the UK apart from within slavery and then within the invitation um, from the Commonwealth after the um, to the Commonwealth, should I say, after the war, and I guess that's a a great emphasis on the whitewashing of history, um, because even by the middle of the 18th century, there were approximately 15,000 black people living and working in London. Fun fact: I'm a descendant of slavery from a sugar and rum plantation island, um, Martinique. Our family slave name is Solomon. Me and my brother and my dad visited Martinique for the first time all together this year. And we went to a museum that um, depicted the history of the island from the Arawaks, the Caribs, the introduction of slaves and slavery to the abolition of slavery and then general Creole life on the island um, in like in the past and to now in contemporary time. Um, slavery was abolished in 1815 in Martinique, which would have probably most definitely made my great-great-grandparents um, born slaves, that they would have been born slaves, and that my great-grandparents probably may have, would have maybe worked, still worked the land under white employers. And to kind of see firsthand um, what daily life was like, conditions, punishment, etc., within slavery terms, it's a very different thing than reading it in a book or watching it in a movie. Um, I guess we're a bit desensitised to the idea of slavery, but seeing it in this kind of trip, where I went back there, it was a homecoming trip. And for me, like, going back home to see where I came from, where my ancestors are from, um, where my family came from, it kind of really... Um, it was poignant for me to to kind of actually... We were robbed from somewhere, taken to somewhere, made to live a life we didn't want to live, forced to work um, in appalling conditions... And, you know, that's the reality of it. And it wasn't that long ago. And that made me think, it's it's very strange. It's very strange to feel like that's my people, that's my family. Um, but obviously on the positives of that, of that trip, it was amazing to kind of get to know, like, well, have a feeling of a sense that I am actually from this place. But it also is interesting to feel like I wasn't, I'm not even entirely from this island. I also came from way over there in Africa. I just happened to be robbed and taken over there. So that kind of when I was thinking about this podcast, I was really in two minds about who I wanted to bring to light within it. Because on one hand, I was nervous to circle back to the slavery narrative because internally I'm conscious that of of how much it's been used in our education as the kind of history of black people when it is not that and I mean that in the sense that the official as if it's all we have as black history but I wish in that same breath like I wish that I had been equally made as aware that our African existence and societies were as royal as educated as dignified as that of our western counterparts that black people of Africa traveled and conquered and ruled and even had their own internal slave trade going on which is obviously nothing to be proud of there's nothing to be proud of in the trade of human beings um but 
kind of... But then again, like, slavery is a part of my direct history and it's something that wasn't too long ago and we shouldn't stop speaking about it. But I did also think that it might be more relative and more inspirational to focus on a more modern female figure, women who are living and breathing, who have paved the way in the UK, women like Karen Blackett, chair of media... Mediacom, Margaret Busby, Britain's youngest and first black publisher, or even Pat McGrath, one of the most influential makeup artists of our time currently. But then I thought, as this segment was also meant to be made relevant to our methods of self-care, I kind of wanted to look at what I do as a person, what I started to do as a little girl, what kind of formed me, what made me, and what made me think about myself. And, um, when I look back on it, when I was really little, um, I was, which is kind of, like, kind of lame, I'm not going to lie, um, I was always super into, like, quintessentially traditional British culture. And I guess that's because, like, growing up in a mixed French household, like, um, I just didn't do things like drink tea and eat Marmite and have the, all these little British things that my friends were doing that I'd kind of, like, really romanticised in my head as well, probably because I was watching movies and... TV that had that within it and one thing that really obviously stands out to me is like Mary Poppins and I think that's where it all started and Beatrix Potter and I would ask my nan for like a tea set and it it kind of started my love for like all this old ass shit like I loved the fairy tales I loved the romance I loved the big dresses I loved that everyone looked like a princess that everyone was made to look regal and beautiful and amazing but obviously like the main thing that was missing in all of this is that no one fucking looked like me Everyone in these period dramas and these period narratives and these period historical stories were strictly white people. There was no one that looked like me. There was no one that looked like my friends. And, you know, that, I guess, was... It kind of, I think it did aid in the idea of when I was little, like, me thinking, like, having a kind of a negative view of my own appearance, which luckily obviously changed. And, you know, I had friends and, you know, I got... You know, I did grow up in a time when I had kind of access to more content which changed my perception of myself which is great but um the period drama thing is still a thing that I would revisit later when I would when I would have down days I'd love to watch period drama like I think the heavy love stories that always work out in the end like you've got my man riding on horseback to go and collect his bay all in beautiful corsets and gowns and even in terms of furniture art and architecture, there's something about, for me personally, 18th century Georgian style that I genuinely love. Like, if I think of the palace outside of Paris, um, Versailles, that Marie Antoinette feel, like, it's a period of excess, it's a period of hedonism. And obviously, for me, from a fashion background, what's being represented in costume, makeup, wigs, everything's extra, everything's so fucking extra that it can't even be replicated in a modern time. Like, you wouldn't see people dressed like that now. And um, I guess when I have my little down days, I love to watch a little period drama, you know, get into it and kind of have an escapism within it that is totally different to my time now and my life now. Um, So that kind of idea of small self-care that I do for myself or something that I enjoy made me think about who I wanted to pick as the profile for this particular podcast and um, basically there's an iconic portrait from the 18th century specifically 1779 um, of a lady called Dido Elizabeth Bell and her cousin Lady Elizabeth Murray and what makes the portrait like so distinctive is because normally within that time 
in portraiture and art, black people were normally portrayed as an accessory to a white protagonist. So either in a way that they'd be looking up or pointing to the white protagonist in the portrait to lead your eye to the white protagonist in the portrait. Whereas in this particular portrait, Dido Elizabeth Bell is a black woman and is seen to be above Lady Elizabeth Murray. She's looking directly out to us. She's got a cheeky smile. She's got sparkling eyes. She's got a beautiful face. She's wearing fashionable silks and pearls. Like her cousin is also wearing, which shows their quality. Of course, there's some stereotypes that they've managed to throw in. Throw in, should I say. Dado Elizabeth Bell is also wearing a turban with an ostrich feather. She's carrying a plate of exotic fruits, whereas her cousin has English roses in her hair and is holding a book. But they're holding hands. Um, whether those kind of little small... Well, they're not small details, they are details that um, were, like, implemented to kind of really emphasise the difference in their origins. I don't know, but What's clear within the portrait is that they're depicted to be people of importance, they're depicted to be people of equal, of equal status, women of society, women of aristocracy. And it kind of makes you think, OK, so who's Dido Elizabeth Bell? So Dido was the illeg- illegitimate child of a British naval officer, Sir John Lindsay, and his African slave concubine, Maria Bell, um, in the West Indies. It's not clear um, whether they had a relationship, whether she was free, but um, her father brought back Dido to England in 1765 to be raised by her great-uncle William Murray, the first Earl of Mansfield. Um, His role in society is quite interesting because he was a judge. Um, He ruled in a particular case called the Zong Trial, um, which had a big influence in changing the public opinion of slavery and probably aided in the abolition of slavery later on. Dido was raised and educated as a lady. She was accomplished in music, the arts, languages, um, but she still had to maintain odd rules in the household, probably due to her colour. Um, I guess this it kind of seems that the that conflict seemed to be constant in her life, even as a beloved member of the family and an heiress of high rank. It seemed that her race always seemed to be at the forefront ahead of her and ahead of that, which I I can believe that is not much different to many people's stories in the modern world today. Um, as an illegitimate child and technically still a, still a slave, as she was born under the colonial slave law, um, her father actually had to free her in his will. Um, it's presumed that he freed her because at the time in London and in England, um, there was still a culture of being snatched in the streets as a black person and being sold back into slavery. So walking around in London as a black person, you might, you know, there was a thing, it was a thing that people might snatch you, kidnap you and sell you on, even if you were a free person. So I guess they're saying that he freed her in his will just to prevent that. Um, she went on to marry a Frenchman and had three sons and died at 43. Ironically, her last remaining descendant died a white man in apartheid in South Africa in 1975. LOL. But anyway... Um, basically, the story of Dido Elizabeth Bell was then depicted in its own period drama feature film called Bell, which was directed by Amra Sante, released in 2013, which you can check out on Netflix. There you go. Um, there's a lot of fiction within the film, I guess mainly because there's a lot of Dido's life that is kind of still unknown. Um, but the general themes of the film focus on feminism and racism, with Dido as the lead character challenging the current social and political structures of her time. 
Um, this is not a usual story for British period drama. And what kind of makes this extra sick, I think, is that it's based on the real life of a black British woman who did live this historical context. The character is real, she did exist, and she is the lead character of, of her own story. Um, kind of if we pivot slightly and look at Amara Sante, who deserves a big shout out and some claps. Um, Amara Sante is a British female film director of Ghanaian descent. Belle was her second feature film and she has since made four feature films in total. Um, I guess I picked like, thank you for listening to my very, very long-winded mini podcast, by the way. Um, I just wanted to end on like, that I guess I picked Dido Elizabeth Bell because after being brought up in the UK, I kind of wanted to bring forward that we also too participated in those historical narratives. And it's something that I greatly love and enjoy, but I guess what I wasn't enjoying in them is that there was no reflection of myself. And But as of late, I'm managing to see um, actually the reality of it was is that, yeah, we were here, we were we were here and um I for me it started I don't know if anyone's interested but I was watching another series called Harlots which um also represents a very multicultural working class 18th century society in London which um has the participation of black people in it because that was a real thing that existed um so if anyone wants to watch that maybe give that a go um and yeah I guess that's something that was relative to me and what I enjoy doing in my self-care and someone that kind of, um, I guess, inspires me, even if it's in the still in the slavery context, which I guess can be a little bit jarring, but I kind of do also enjoy the idea that, you know, um, the whitewashing of history isn't going to continue. Like, um, we existed in many other narratives... Um, anyway, I hope that you have a nice day, guys, and you enjoy this series of podcasts and everyone else's spotlights on some incredible queens this month. And yeah, that's it. See you later.